Well, amen. That's what I'm going to be talking about tonight. I'll pick up from what he's talked about the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll get into chapter 5 where it talks about the signs of the times. I just got back from Pakistan. I've been there a month. I've been going there now almost 20 years in a row, and I travel to um, restricted countries around the world. I'll be sharing a little bit about Pakistan. Uh, In less than two weeks, I'll be going to the United Arab Emirates, which uh, is, 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 is amazing uh, fulfillment of, of Bible prophecy. Uh, and I'll be showing you pictures of how the Pope went there and met with two of the top clerics of the Islamic world. And there is now a mosque, um, a synagogue, and a Roman Catholic church on one site called the Abrahamic Family House. I've been there several times. I'm going there in less than two weeks. I'm going inside this time. I've got pictures all over the outside, but this time I'm going in. And uh, Easter time, and that'll be exciting. But I want to share with you how close that I believe the coming of the Lord is because of the signs of the times, which Jesus said better pay attention to, and Paul said you better pay attention to. And I know some people say, oh, yeah, well, no, no. If they said we better pay attention to, we better pay attention to the signs of the time. So I hope you'll be here. I'm going to also have the privilege of sharing with you what God has done uh, in Pakistan. We just got done meeting with 25 Baptist church planters. We started with this many in 1975. Or 75. <laughs> in 2005. <clears throat> And uh, it was exciting. I had a pastor's conference just before I left. I've been there a month teaching in the Bible college that God allowed us to start in, uh, in 20, uh, uh, just about 2003, 2004. And it's been very exciting to see the church planting. And so we've got, uh, and I'll share with you uh, pictures of some of those church planters uh, meeting on rooftops, meeting on streets. Uh, and, and by God's grace, we've built 12 buildings. We're on the 12th one right now uh, for some of the successful church planters in Pakistan. And a lot of people say, Baptist churches in Pakistan? Yes, sir. That's exciting. God can do anything. And I also get to go to India and Bhutan and Myanmar and, and Jordan and China and all other kinds of places. But uh, I want to just share with you a little bit of the Middle East and Pakistan tonight. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, appreciate Pastor Luther inviting me back. I've been here before, not too long ago. And you support one of my national guys in, in Africa, Malawi, um, uh, Andrew Zambiri. I'm with him every year. Just had a great time with him this past summer and going back in June. He's doing a good job, and uh, he appreciates the support that you give to him. So we're going to uh, speak to you, um, uh, just something God's laid on my heart, but about the impact that a life can make for world missions. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this missions conference, for this church, and, and for the missionaries that are here, and the burden and passion that the folks have here for world missions. And Lord, we, we believe, as this gentleman just saying, that uh, the, the you're getting ready with a trumpet stepping out and calling us home we're so excited about that but Lord there's still work until that day comes and we don't know when it's going to come we feel it's near but there's still work to be done churches to be planted souls to be saved thank you Lord for what you're doing and uh, for the burden that you're giving us in world missions while we still have open doors in many of these countries help us that we might be able to get in and and then as we see our our country the United States um, so many churches closing 
and uh, just hardly anybody willing to, to start another church. So we're thankful, Lord, for what we're seeing out there in Texas, and, and uh, we're grateful for all that you're doing. Now, bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love world missions. Um, I, I was uh, raised in the Congo, spent four years there in the jungles, and uh, my dad uh, was a missionary, and I just tagged along as a little boy. So I've got a lifetime in missions I'm very excited about. Turning your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 6, I want to speak to you about the impact that a life can have for world missions. And we'll, we'll pick it up uh, <clears throat> there in, in verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia of Asia, disputing with Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we, and for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. And then if you turn over uh, to the next chapter, chapter 7, we will also want to read about what happened to Stephen. Verse 54, And when they heard these things, by the way, in between what we just read and what we're reading now, Stephen preached one of the best messages you'll ever, you'll ever read in the Word of God. In fact, I think it was better than Peter's message of Pentecost. Yeah, Peter had thousands saved. Stephen got stoned. Hmm. A little bit like what you were talking about, that, the, the, you know, uh, how to go through some storms. And this was not only a storm, he didn't survive it. But let's find out what happened here. And I know you know, know the story, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, stood up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God mm. and said... Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. That's what I want to talk about. The impact that Stephen's life made on the greatest missionary who has ever walked this earth. The Apostle Paul, who used to be called Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What a remarkable deacon and evangelist, this man. He wasn't an apostle, but my goodness, what a powerful impact he had on the life of the Apostle Paul. You know, sometimes it's not a preacher. Sometimes it's not a great person that can impact the life of a, of a missionary. I think about John Patton, the great missionary to what was then the New Hebrides Islands. It's now called Fiji, and it's a tourist place. And John Patton was a, uh, from, from Scotland, and his father w- w- had, with a, had a lot of children in those days. His father would sit at the dinner table, 
and pray for missionaries all around the world while the dinner got cold. That was not a big hit to a lot of the kids in the family, as you can imagine. But they never forgot that. John Patton became a lawyer, became very successful, but he never forgot the burden that his father, hey, you could do that. You don't need to go to Pakistan. You don't need to go to China and India and wherever. Uh, you, you can have enough of an impact on somebody else who may go to those places. I think about the impact my father had. And, and, and now I'm going around the world with the gospel. But John Patton, he, he got married, and he, and he, and he, but he just felt like God wanted him to be one of those missionaries that he heard his father pray about. And it was a regular. It just didn't happen every now and again. His father prayed every meal <laughs> till the food got cold because he had to pray for every missionary that he knew. And there weren't that many in those days, amen? But now there are. Thank God. We, we, we've had a great missionary several years. And I trust that till the Lord comes, we're going to continue to send out missionaries, Baptist churches especially. But anyway, he got married and, and, and he felt a burden to go to the Hebrides Islands. And he and three or four other missionaries got on the ship and they set sail. And his, his father uh, waved to him on, on, the, on the dock as a faithful man, uh, seeing his son go into world missions. And on the trip <clears throat> down, they had to pass down through uh, the Cape, uh, um, uh, Cape of Good Hope, you know, South Africa, and then up towards India, and then around towards islands, if you, you know the map. And um, on that ship, those, those uh, couples that were going to the New Hebrides Islands, uh, they, they prayed together and they fasted and, and they were really concerned about going. But, you know, the ship's captain was very, very, um, very, very nervous about that. He said, you know, there's cannibals on those islands. He said, would you just let me take you to Australia or, or, or South Africa or uh, Bombay or Calcutta or uh, Bangkok? Could I, could I leave you off somewhere like that, you guys? But please, I, I don't want blood on my hands. I do not want to sail my ship in the New Hebrides Islands and let you guys off there knowing that you could be eaten by cannibals. And uh, they said, well, okay, we're, we're praying about it, but that's where God's led us. And so we'll let you know tomorrow. And they prayed and they prayed and, and they, they met with the captain and said, you know, captain, that's where God wants us. That's where we need to be. So he did. He let them off. And for the first six months there on the island of Tana, Life was terrible. Uh, the, the, they had a little baby that, that was lost, and they had to bury uh, the baby son. Then pretty soon, uh, he buried his wife on the sands of that island. Um, one of the mornings, he would go, uh, heard, uh, after violence all night long, tribal warfare, uh, tribes killing other tribes there. He went up to the spring to get his usual pot of tea, water, so that he could boil on the fire on the beach. That's about as far as they'd gotten and he saw the water was pink. And then he saw skulls and body parts with bite marks. He saw himself that those people had not only, those tribal people not only killed members of another tribe, but they, the victors ate the, the, the ones that were killed. And he got so discouraged with it all that in, in six months, he left and went back to Scotland. I'm going to tell you the end of the story here in just a little bit. Seemed like a wasted life. Lost his child, lost his wife, and heading back with, made no impact whatever he thought on the island there of Tana and the New Hebrides Islands. Stephen 
one of the greatest uh, messages that was ever preached. In there you read it in chapter 7. And while Peter's sermon sparked the beginning of the New Testament church, Pentecost, Stephen ended up stoned. Let me tell you another story. The year was 1921. Mission story, a lady named Svea Flood and her husband David with their two-year-old son left for the Belgian Congo. Now that, hap- now that caught my attention when I read that story because I lived four years in the Belgian Congo. And not in the 20s, in the 50s. So 30 years before this story really happened and happened in a place that I'm quite familiar with. Village chief at Endolera, where they sailed up the Congo River, as my father later would sail up the Congo River with two-year-old uh, me and, and my baby brother. Um, they went to this village in, in Dolera, and the, and, the, and the village chief said, no, no, you can't come inside the village. You must stay outside the village. And, uh, so, but he allowed a little boy to uh, sell them chickens and eggs twice a week to go outside the village and sell to these missionaries that had settled in and built a little hut outside the village. Well, again, things did not go well. The little boy died of malaria, and pretty soon the wife, uh, Svea, was ready to give birth to a, a child, and uh, she caught malaria. And 17 days later, she died. So here was David Flood, a Swedish missionary, actually. Back in those days, Sweden was sending missionaries. And uh, he'd now lost his baby, his wife, but he had this little girl. Uh, she, she just had the baby, ba- a baby girl, and then she passed. And now what was he going to do? In a country that was full of malaria and uh, a dangerous country, and once again, I know that there were cannibals in those areas as well. What was he going to do? And uh, actually, he got bitter. He got bitter against God. And there were some American missionaries in a village not too far away, and he went to their house and he said, Here, you take my girl. I can't raise her here. I'm going back to England. God's failed me. I'm discouraged. I can't stay here. Sure enough, he went back to England. And uh, meanwhile, the American couple stayed for several years, and they took this uh, young girl, and and they named her Aggie, back to their home in South Dakota. And they raised her there. Well, she grew up, and she met a young man, and, <clears throat> and they went to Bible college together in Seattle. And uh, pretty soon after graduating, uh, that young man became the president. And so they were very involved in that Bible college there in Seattle. And, uh, she, but she began to really get burdened about who her father was. And was he still alive? And, and could she reach him? And so she was devouring anything that she could to try to figure out. And that was before Google. That was before all the media that you could do it and like that. Uh, you can imagine in those days uh, trying to find somebody. But she one day read an article in a Swedish magazine, a missions magazine. And it was written uh, about this little African boy. Uh, and and the, the uh, birth of a baby girl by the missionaries. The death of the young mother. And the account of how uh, that young mother had taught that little boy how to read, and the text was the Bible. She had taught him Bible stories, how to read. And so in the short time before she passed away, that little boy had enough knowledge. He went back to the village, and he led the whole village to Christ over several months. And over 650 people, and some of them also learned to read because he was a very sharp little boy, and, and pretty soon, uh, and baptized. The whole village got baptized uh, as a result of missionary efforts uh, of that American family and some others that had gone there as well. And so she read about this, and she said, I've got to find my father. I've got to tell my father 
Uh, she knew enough to know that he was, he was uh, bitter and did not want to, to talk. But she said, maybe he'll listen to the story. And so she was able to go to England and, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Sweden. I, I said England. She, was, she went back to Sweden and she knocked on the door of the house, the address that she had found where her father was, was there. And she wanted to meet him and tell him about this good news. And so she knocked on the door and a teenage a person answered, a teenage boy or girl answered. And uh, by now he had remarried, had four kids and he was an alcoholic. And uh, he did not want to hear anything about God. And so the teenager opened the door and said, listen, just talk to him about anything else, but don't talk to him about God because that'll set him off. Well, imagine here you come to find your father and, you know, we were told by a child, uh, you know, of his with another wife, no, you can't talk about God. Well, that's why she came. So she went into the room and he had his face to the wall on a bed and he was dying. Alcohol had ruined his life. And his face was to the wall. And uh, so she started small talk and this and that. And then, um, but she thought to herself, listen, I came all the way from Seattle to talk to him. I found my father. I've got good news. I'm going to tell him. And so she related the story of the little boy and, and the, who sold um, his wife who had passed away the chicken and the eggs. And how his wife had led him to Christ and taught him to read. And now there were 600 baptized believers in that village. Pretty soon, that, that old crusty man whose face was to the wall turned with tears in his eyes, got reconciled to the God that, that he had served, but he turned his back on God because of the problems, because of what had happened. And sometimes, folks, that does happen. But anyway, this, this man reconciled to God uh, realized that God was truly, uh, had worked in his life even though he had had a great loss and he went out into eternity and of course nobody knows but believed as a believer reconciled to the God he had once rejected and blamed for his wife's death and his baby's death. Well, that wasn't the end of the story. <clears throat> because they were involved in a Christian university now, I think it was called Seattle Pacific, I don't know if it's still going... But um, uh, they had ties in the missions world. And, and one day she read that this um, uh, uh, national pastor from the Congo was going to be featured in a missions conference in London, England. And so she went uh, to that conference and she heard him speak. And, and, uh, and, and afterwards she, she said, Kimmy, I've got a story to tell you. My, I, I was born in the Belgian Congo. I wonder if you know my mother. Her name was Svea Flood. And he said, Svea Flood, she's a hero to our whole area. He said, she, I'm, the, I'm the one that sold her the chicken and the eggs. And, and she taught me how to read. And I went to my village. And, and now there were hundreds of thousands of baptized believers in the whole region. This was many years later. And, she, and he said, you've got to come to the graveside. You've got to see our people. You've got to see the churches that have been started. Hey, they wouldn't have been started if they hadn't gone. They paid a great price. But now there are hundreds of thousands. We'll meet them one day in heaven. And so she did. She got a plane, went to... Now the country was called Zaire. Now it's called DRC. It's one of those most unstable countries in the world. Anyway, she went there. It was called Zaire. And they took, uh, the young man met, met her and took her to the graveside, a little white cross and a lump of dirt. 
and he pulled out his Bible, and, and <clears throat> as they were just, just commemorating her, the life of that young lady that, that had passed away, read from John 12, 24, except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone, yet it bringeth forth much fruit. It reminds us that how we live is more important than how long we live. Stephen didn't live very long, but he made a great impact. Now let's, let's talk about Stephen's impact. He can, Paul, and there was Paul, Saul, his name was, he was consenting to Stephen's death. And in the next chapters, chapter 8 and 9, he launched, a, especially chapter 9, I'm sorry, uh, he launched a, a crusade against Christianity. He was bitter. He was angry. Uh, he did everything he could to oppose what he called was a sect. And, and Paul gives many times uh, before King Agrippa and other uh, places, he gives that, uh, that story of how what, what uh, he had done against the teachings of Christ. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 22, you'll see uh, in his defense, he is talking about uh, how um, he once persecuted, what he called that way. And notice in Acts 22 and verse 20, what he says. As he's talking about it, uh, verse 19, and I said, Lord, they know that I am prison and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. You see, that never left his mind. Here he is defending his actions in front of uh, Agrippa and Felix and Festus and the Roman uh, uh, captain that had arrested him. All these people. And who does he bring up as he's talking about how he persecuted the way, the, the, the life of Jesus? He brings up Stephen. He never forgot that. Paul was winning souls, establishing churches, sending helpers like Timothy, Titus, and Epaphras to pastor those churches that he planted. It was all about missions. Traveling, missions was about traveling, planting churches, going to the next place, planting churches, leaving people to pastor those churches. Paul, as you can read about him in the rest of the book of Acts, a tremendous, tremendous work that he did. Uh, Accomplished, And really, we wouldn't be saved today if it weren't for some of the far-reaching evangelistic efforts of the Apostle Paul. And yet he never forgot the impact of that day when Stephen was stoned. Let's, let's find out a little bit more about it. Paul, uh, as he uh, closes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, <clears throat> He's writing about the influences of his life and, and, and he gives glory. First of all, in chapter 10 and verse 17 of 2 Corinthians, after he talks about preaching the gospel in the regions beyond you, he says, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Paul gave glory here, first of all, glorying in the Lord. But then it takes a real twist in, in chapter 11, verse 30. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. And he had just gotten done talking about his infirmities, the things that had happened to him, the beatings, verse 24 and 25, the stonings, the shipwreck, verse 25, the robbers, the perils, the journeys, the, the, the sea, the false brethren, verse 26. And yet he concludes in verse 30, If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. He placed his glory in God first. That's the way it always should be. But then 
Can you believe Paul gave glory for his infirmities? And if you uh, turn over, it might be on the same page, but it, for me it's over the page, chapter 12, verse 9. And um, talking about the, 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 the thorn in the flesh, verse 7, he besought the Lord to remove it, verse 8, verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We don't hear enough of that. All we hear is go to the faith healer if you've got problems. You know, God wants you whole and prosperous and wealthy, right? That's what the Christian world's all about, unfortunately. Paul said, if I must glory, I'll glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest. Hey, that's a missionary. That's somebody that's willing to leave comfortable situations and go where people don't want them to go. You know, I've often thought, you know, a missionary oftentimes go where, goes where they're not wanted. You know, I mean, you know, remember when Jesus showed up uh, with, uh, in Samaria? I mean, that, was the, that lady was dumbfounded that he would be there. And that's kind of the way it is. I remember when my wife and I moved to Canada, we did church planting, planted a church for 13 years up there in the Toronto area. And before we, I started traveling the last 20 years, and, you know, my wife being from Charlotte, North Carolina, you know, and the Canadians being out and about, and, and how's your house today, you know, and, and uh, she'd go into the grocery store and they, where are you from? <laughs> and, I mean, it was a nice thing, you know, they, uh, you know they, that started the conversation. My wife brought a lot of people to our church. My wife led many people to Christ that are still serving God today. And you know how it started a lot of times? Because they inter- she's loquacious, yes, but they interacted with her because of her accent. And the second question was, what are you doing here? Right? And then that gives her an opportunity. Well, here's why my husband and, and I, or we're planning a Baptist church. And, and one thing leads to another, and pretty soon she's invited them. And many, many ladies came over the course of time. I'm not talking about in a week or two. And came to know Christ. I baptized them. What a joy it is to be sometimes where you're not wanted or where people say, what are you doing here? I got kind of sidetracked here, but Paul gave glory uh, for his infirmities. And sometimes we don't think of them in that that aspect. And then, don't you know, Paul gave glory to one man, chapter 12. And I know what the commentaries say. I don't believe the commentaries. I want you to listen. Chapter 12, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Well, if you go to Galatians chapter 2, you realize that places it right, you know, near Paul's conversion time. And what, what, when did Stephen get stoned? Hmm. Just, a, just, I mean, like days before he got converted. Anyway, well, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Well... Stephen was talking to Jesus where? At the throne. First heaven's where the birds fly. The second heaven's where the planets are. The third heaven is the very throne of God. And Paul's talking about it. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise. And where's paradise, by the way, these days? Well, remember Jesus 
told the thief, uh, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise, and then he went into the heart of the earth. So that's where paradise used to be. But when he, got, when he rose from the dead, he, he said captivity, captive. He took paradise and all those Old Testament saints up to heaven. Amen? So that's where it was. Paul's now saying, yeah, he, uh, this, this man I knew got caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now listen to this. Of such an one I will, glo- will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory. He said, it wasn't me. I remember what happened that day. And that's why you keep reading in Acts. He talks about Stephen. I remember that day when I held the coats and I heard the thud of the rocks. I'll glory in that one. And I'll glory in my infirmities. Paul gave glory first to God, second to his infirmities, and thirdly to one man that had an impact on his life. John Patton did remarry. He went back in 1864, built an orphanage, translated scriptures. His second wife, Margaret, taught the women. They taught national pastors. And you know, for a time in the 1900s, Fiji was the most Christianized part of the world. There were more Christians per head in Fiji than anywhere in the world by far. Hundreds of thousands of people came to know Christ. Because it was... He gave up all that when he went, but God blessed the seed that was sown of of the life of his family. And they went back and they reaped all those harvests. What I'm saying to you is, sometimes we think we're not having an impact on somebody, but we don't ever know. We don't ever know if you live a godly life and you, you care for missions and you love missions, how it's affecting your children or your grandchildren, or somebody else in the church. And we, we have many examples of how somebody else's life might have been short. It might have seemed like just a waste. Was Stephen's life a waste? I guess to most of us, look, he didn't accomplish very much. What a wasted life. He's a deacon. He's an evangelist. He, he spoke powerfully, but now he's gone. But look at what that life made a difference in the life of the greatest evangelist and missionary this world has ever known. Reminds me of a little poem. Some people die in ashes. Some people die in flames. Some people die inch by inch playing silly little games. And listen, that father had prayer at his dinner table. Changed the life of his son and changed the life of islanders who almost to this day are Christian. Maybe not Baptist, but they're Christian. And you just wonder, what will you do with your life? We're not asking that you be a missionary, but that you be concerned enough about missions to have an impact about somebody's life. Maybe God will use... He won't use us if we don't do something that's, that's passionate about it. I mean, if I'm not passionate about missions, how can I expect anybody else to be? That's the thing. And you don't have to actually go to be passionate enough to have an impact on what's most precious to the heart of 